Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and you're listening to Thread, podcast number 94. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Well, welcome back to the Thread podcast. This is Chuck Quinley, and the Thread podcast is a little bit different. It's a podcast for leaders. For those who want their lives to make a difference in the lives of other people, whether that's at school or in the home or at work, uh, whether God's called you to be a leader with a capital L of large movement or uh, a leader with a small L, as many of us are, you want your life to make a difference. And in order to do that, you have to be an influence on the lives of other people. And today's uh, podcast is really important to anybody who wants to be a leader because as we institute change, we run into the fact that about 80% of all other personality types don't want change. They are conservative and they resist change. It is their nature to resist change. And so we're always going to have to deal with this group and to uh, uh, try to get them on board and also to protect ourselves and protect our movement from the negative impact that a conservative element can bring. Uh, This is really um, a big chapter in the early church's history. We've been uh, working our way through the book of Acts, looking for leadership lessons, and we find one today in Acts chapter 11. And let me just give you, while you turn there, let me give you a little background. Uh, Acts chapter 10 is this amazing story. The miracle of Cornelius, when God speaks to the Roman centurion, a very unlikely person to be listening to God. He's a soldier with a lot of soldiers under him. He's in charge of military operations uh, in to control the land of Israel. And yet to this invader, this Gentile invader in the promised land, God reaches out to this man and he speaks to him. And he draws him to himself. And Cornelius becomes a very soft-hearted man seeking God. And God tells Cornelius through an angelic visitor that he is to send to Joppa for Simon Peter and that Peter has a message from God for them. So Cornelius does exactly that. Peter comes and uh, reluctantly, but God's been dealing with Peter also about his, his prejudice and his biases. And so Peter comes, and as he is speaking to Cornelius, who's gathered his whole family, all his friends, into his house, the Holy Spirit visits that moment, and there is a great outpouring of supernatural power, and these people speak in tongues. They have all the miracle manifestations that the New Testament Jewish church had on the day of Pentecost, and Peter is just amazed at what he sees, that God has come in power and has embraced Gentile people and makes no distinction between Jews and Gentiles and draws these people into the very same, not a second family, not a second class family, but the only family he has. And Peter starts to understand that God's dream of family is a multicultural, multicolored family. And this is new to him, but he, he's going with it and he's growing with it and he's learning and uh, But by the time he gets back to the Jerusalem uh, circle of believers, there is, a, there is a, a tone in the air, and there's a mood, and an atmosphere has changed. And very surprisingly, 
his actions have been controversial, and he's actually in trouble, not with everybody, but with a group called Those of the Circumcision. And we can, we can just categorize these people as extreme religious conservatives. Uh, they're set in their ways, and they have their own mind about what is right, and they don't tend to change. And so one of the things in their mind is that no good spiritual person goes anywhere near Gentile people. Now, they're just completely ignoring massive blocks in the teaching of Jesus, the entire mission of the church, for example. And they're creating the whole thing just to be a Jewish uh, religion. It's aimed at Jews. It's a rescue mission from God only to the covenant people. And they just want nothing to do with Gentiles because they would pollute us. And so they, you know, they're, they're dangerous people. They, they pull Peter. You know, I'm, I'm really amazed even when I read this story that here is the apostle, number one apostle of Jesus, and clearly the man that Jesus left in charge to shepherd the Jerusalem church, and yet this group has no uh, hesitation in calling him to answer in a public meeting that gets uh, called together. And uh, But we see something going on with Peter, and I really wish the New Testament told us a little bit more about it because he has already begun to lose leadership in Jerusalem to this group, uh, this conservative, fundamentalist, uh, backward-looking, traditionalist group has somehow taken over, and it is growing. Their influence continues to grow, and he's just going the whole church is going to have to deal with this new element. Uh, ultimately, James, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, a non-apostle, never trained by Jesus to be an apostle, ends up in charge of the Jerusalem church. And he changes even not just the tone, but he changes even the leadership style that Jesus brought and that he taught his disciples uh, to manifest. Like in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, Peter you know, has a meeting. Those guys have all been together in the upper room. They're seeking God. And Peter basically says something like, let us choose. You know, guys, we need to get together and choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. And so they seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. And, you know, there's lots of references to things like it. You know, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And you've got this collegial, shared leadership. But by the time James and the traditionalists get a hold of things, you hear James saying things like, my decision is. And, you know, you've got now a very structure-based, you know, Christianity was kind of an anti-structure. You had the Jewish structures and the conservative structures, and Jesus kicked against those things and and called them to account. And so early Christianity, uh, like most uh, spirit movements, like Pentecostalism and Quakerism, they start off very pluralistic in leadership. Uh, they, don't, they don't want hierarchy. They don't want tradition. They don't want a priest. They don't want a, a strong, top-down senior leader. But as these religion uh, movements, as these movements kind of cool off, things get settled in and they move from being anti-structure to structure. And all of a sudden tradition is important. And I don't know, I, mean, I don't know what causes that shift, but it's something that you can track in history and with a lot of movements. Once they cool down, they, I don't know, they lose their mission and they lose their whole, the tone, you know, tone is so important. It, uh, just the feeling that you get when you're in a group. And sometimes you, it's hard to 
describe it. You might not even see it written down, but yet you feel it. And, you know, one group has a, a wind of life that blows through them and other groups, it's just this, you know, this control spirit. And that's what this group's all about. Now, Paul intimates that James is a traditionalist. He's resistant to new developments in the early church. And we just end up with this conservative, religious prejudice that is so poisonous. And um, so they call Peter to account for his actions. You went into the home, verse 3. You went into the home of uncircumcised men and you ate food with them. And so Peter explains himself. He tells the whole story. He recounts the miraculous elements in the story. And uh, a point that's very important to us will be in verse 12 where Peter says, The Holy Spirit told me to go with them. Here's the quote, doubting nothing. Now, in the Greek, this means not hesitating, not having doubts, not having misgivings, not being divided in decision-making, not wavering, not giving way to fear, not having a conflict within myself. And he says, that was my orders from God. Go without doubting, doubting nothing. Um, you know, this fear, that is really the source of the tension behind the calling of this meeting. These people are afraid. They're afraid of change. They're afraid that change takes you to a bad place. They're afraid that change will uh, change doctrine and change will change all the important things. And so they just resist it, but they're not resisting out of a, a love of uh, the mission. They're resisting it out of fear. Uh, you know, meetings in general, these kind of called reactionary, we need to have a meeting to discuss this, these are always very pregnant situations. They're pregnant with possibility for disaster. They're pregnant with possibility for division. And they're also pregnant with a possibility for a breakthrough. I have a friend who did a Ph.D. On, uh, in leadership, and his focus was on conflict management. And he said something like 80% of all pastors that leave their churches do so because of a conflict that they have with somebody, and it just so, you know, it blows out their mind and they lose their motivation and they just want to leave. Not just leave the church, leave church work, period. They don't want to serve the body of Christ anymore. And Fred said, uh, Fred Garman, my friend, he said that usually, you know, Christians aren't real good at conflict. We don't know what to do with it. We tend to just want to make peace real quick with appeasement or um, compromising or just giving in but that he feels like Christians should run to conflict situations. We should get really skilled at it because it's, a, it's such a great breakthrough moment. It's a chance to make people listen. Uh, it's hard to get them to listen when their emotions are all riled up, but it's possible uh, because there's, you know, emotion is what makes us make our decisions, not intellectual. Even if you get all your doctrine right and even if you get all your thinking right, it doesn't mean that you will act. We act when an emotional trigger gets pushed. And you know, meetings over uh, situations are, are chances for that. But you know, it's very difficult to control these things because you're talking about the emotions of other people. And as we know, you cannot control adult behavior. You can control your own behavior. And adults can change their own behavior, but one adult can't change another adult's uh, behavior. You, you have to want to change. Uh, we're too big to be controlled. 
Well, in verse 15, as Peter goes down and they're arguing back and forth, and Peter says, you know, I was told not to doubt. I was told to go, and I was told not to doubt when I went. Then there's the God factor, verse 15. As I was talking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on us, and then I remembered God's word. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the whole thing about spirit, you know, it's a wind that you can't control. You don't see where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You can see the effect of the wind on people, but you can't control the wind. God is the wind. His spirit is blowing. And these Gentile people, it's a new season. And God has begun a new time for the Gentile expansion. And he's reaching into These people's lives, verse 17, if God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, well, who was I to withstand God? And when they heard these things, verse 19, verse 18, it says they became silent. Peter's argument is God is doing what he wants. Like it, understand it, applaud it, accept it, or don't. But God is God and he's doing it. And they just go to silence. They're not rejoicing. They accept it. You know, the the penny drops, as the British say. And they get the point. It drops down inside their head. And it's, wow, God is at work among Gentile people. But they don't rejoice. They grudgingly yield to God's will. And this is a really sad chapter. It says, verse 18, that they they rejoiced after they became silent. No, it doesn't. So they glorified God saying, oh, well, then God is also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. But as we'll notice, they make very little effort to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. It's kind of like, well, just let God do it. And God does. It's a sad uh, chapter in church history because what it means is this explosive movement among the Jews will now begin to die out because this conservative traditionalist spirit has arisen And it's taken over early Christianity, and it's bringing with it legalism, judging, and church politics. And these three things will kill the root. I mean, persecution could only prune the branches, but you can't harden your heart against another people group and still experience the fresh wind of God. You can't become legalistic and still have the life of the Holy Spirit in you. You can't Uh, spend your energies judging others. You can't engage in secret conversations and church politics and favoring friends and doing all this uh, perverted, um, you know, stuff that has no place in the kingdom of God. You cannot engage in things like that and still have the power of the Holy Spirit and the wind of God moving. You know, even the wording of Peter's defense in verse 17 is telling. You know, he doesn't, it's kind of a saying, okay, guys, you know, I'm kind of one of you. And, gee, you know, I, I don't want God to do it either, but he's done it. You know, he's, he's kind of waffling. And Paul says Peter has two minds, that when these people are not around him, he's fine and he does beautiful work among Gentiles. But when this conservative Jewish legalistic circle comes, they affect him. He gets insecure And he starts to, kind of like when he looked at the waves when he was walking on water just fine, and he would, you know, he loses his confidence, and then he he starts to crumble on this principle that God actually used Peter in a mighty way among Gentiles. And Peter did some amazing work, and God 
expanded his kingdom among Gentile people. But, you know, Peter needs to grow into his confidence here. And I don't know if that lack of confidence is what allowed others to see a weak point in him and to exploit it. You know, because people who love power, they want power. They have no business having it. I mean, the church was in much better hands with Peter, even with all Peter's insecurities. He's still Peter. He knows Jesus and he's got a good heart. Uh, but, you know, this whole top-down management thing, you start looking for who's stronger than that one, and the, the alpha male emerges. The point is, these people dislike Gentiles. They are tongue-talking, Bible-quoting, hand-clapping, worship-singing racists in their hearts. They don't like Gentiles, they reject them, and they have very little interest in building bridges to them, in opening their hearts to them, in opening their eyes to them. Now, here's the point. This won't stop God. This does not stop God's harvest of the nations. This does not keep God from doing what he's going to do. It only stops this group from being used much. God will call out some from their group who are listening to him, and they will see amazing things as they hold God's hand, they feel his heart for the lost, and they join him in working in the field of souls because that's where the Father is, and he is going there to work. And whoever wants to go with him goes with him. And this point in the story closes out the history of the great Jerusalem church, and we begin to see it eclipsed uh, by the new move of God among Gentile people, and a whole new chapter opens up about the millions of people who will come to Christ outside of Israel. God's fresh wind is always moving. It's always blowing. So friends, let's, uh, you know, we love uh, the truth of God's word. We believe in our doctrine. We know our Bibles, but let's not get so rooted in traditionalism and conservative in our opinions that we end up resisting the same move of God that brought us along and that others before us may be resisted. Uh, just something happens sometimes with, uh, with age and with time in a movement. You just you stop growing and you start being backward focused. So let's shake that off in ourselves and question among ourselves, you know, how open we are to new things and new moves. And as always, we want to be outwardly focused and looking for people who don't have our same skin color, don't have our same uh, context. They might not even speak our, our same language. But God is using these people and he is raising up a church among these people and we want God to use us. So wherever you're at in the world and people listen to this podcast from all over the world, you know, God has people groups all around you. And if you will reach out, that's what, you know, the gospel has power and God will use you and he will use me as we do our work in the harvest. Well, that's all for this episode of Thread Podcast. If you'd like to talk to me, I would love to hear from you. Just write me directly, chuck at quinley.com. We'll see you next time on Thread. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to quinley.com. Thread.